I'm Stephen Campbell, and we are here with Ear Crush Episode 1. I'm here with Michael Anderley, the author of Tabitha's Vacation. Michael has created the 21-book Cartharian Gambit series, created and written. And for those of you who aren't familiar with the series, and I know there are a few people out there that don't know about this series, how would you describe it, Michael? It is a play on what we think we all know about vampires and werewolves and the reality that how they were created is vastly different. And it ends up taking us not only from our past to our present, but into the future. And Tabitha, I think, joins the story in book six. Is that right? No, actually, she is part of it in book two. She comes in as a, uh, a hacker. She is basically forced to do this by some evil people. And so she gets introduced into, but she doesn't really, to your point, she doesn't become more of the of it until later in the series. Okay, now here's the big question, and then we'll get to the story. I know the way you sat down and carefully plotted out all 21 books all the way back in 2015. I mean, this was an elaborate plan for these books. Did you have a clue that Tabitha would be in any of these stories when you started writing? I'm wondering if your mother knows that you should be washing your mouth out with soap with all of the lies that you just said. No, I had no idea that Tabitha was there. I mean, when I did the original part for Kirthier and Gambit, I had 13 titles. And it wasn't until the first three or four books and the fans started coming back to me that I decided that I would make it 21 books, which I will never do again. <laughs> but how did Tabitha, did she just, I mean, you mentioned she was there in the second book, but how did she become such an integral part of the story? She's one of the most popular characters in the series. That is true. And the answer is that the main character, Bethany Ann, were, needed some capability for one of the other characters, Michael. And in doing so, he needed technical support because Michael sleeps a lot and so he doesn't catch up on technology. Bethany Ann knew of Tabitha, so she acquired her. And then through a lot of things that happened, she became a really trusted advisor. And in fact, she became what's called a ranger. When they go into outer space, into other areas, uh, as Ranger 2, Tabitha has a team of Tontos, which are six uh, Japanese men that help follow her around. But in the far future, they have effectively kept their area of space pretty clean now. It took them 100, 150 years to accomplish this. They have long lives. And so she's bored. She's bored to tears at this point. And so what the person called Ranger 1, Barnabas, recognizes what's going on with Tabitha and recognizes that she needs to get out there and mix it up again. So he tells her that, you know, she's got a vacation coming or, or she asked for one, but he gives her tickets to what is equivalent at that time. And in that place to a, a hive of scum and villainy. And so he knows that for her quote vacation, she's going to go and kick some ass. All right. So episode one is chapter one of this story. Uh, next week, we will be back with chapter two. And our guest for next week will be the narrator whose voice you're going to be hearing in uh, in both of these, Emily Beresford. Michael and Emily actually met for the first time in New York at, at APAC. And that was the first time Emily had ever met one of her authors, which is kind of cool. It, it is. I was, in fact, the second author who ever called her to talk on the phone about the characters, anything of that nature. So I, I would always wished I had been, you know, number one in her, in her life with calling her, but I was not, but I at least acquired number one as the first time she's ever met one. There's something there. All right. So that's it for the beginning. Let's get right to Tabitha's vacation by Michael Anderley. Chapter one, one problem, one ranger. 
I walked into Rossini's bar on Planet Bactol with what my boss calls a physical ailment, a short temper and a bad case of I don't give a shit. I was grumping to him for the third monthly meeting in a row about nothing to do when he came to check on me in my area of the sector. As my doctor, he prescribed a two-month vacation. <laughs> my boss knows me too damned well. He isn't going to lose my services for the three months. It's three because I need two weeks travel both ways, and he knows I know he's still getting work out of me. So he can kiss my ass on the actual travel time. I booked that on the nicest, most expensive luxury liner on this side of the galaxy for my vacation. Everything else was going to be work. Perhaps fun work, but work nonetheless. Here on Bechtel's world, I would just be doing my job. Some vacation, poking the alien equivalent of anthills, looking under disgusting rocks and kicking over dilapidated buildings to see what maggots from the local equivalent of the criminal world squirmed away. Hoping to be faster than I could figure out what the hell they've done wrong and if necessary, shoot them. My usual area of responsibility was two solar systems back and one up and damned if it wasn't getting too boring. It had taken me 30 years, but I'd finally gotten most organizations to understand the queen bitch's rule for her rangers, which is one problem, one ranger. The corollary to it from my boss is rangers have no limits for our backup. It just can't be another ranger. One time on the Sverin planet, I got into a shouting match with the equivalent of the local warlord. I hadn't wanted to lay waste to half a city just to pull out his good-for-absolutely-nothing second cousin from his whatever-the-hell-the-third-parent-was-called-in-their-family group. So, in front of him and his men, I told him I would call for a battalion of the queen bitch's guardians if he didn't produce the miscreant. That rat-faced P.O.S. just stared at me and called my bluff. <laughs> He didn't know us rangers very well. So I did. Call, that is. Because as a ranger, we have a direct link to the queen bitch herself, Bethany Ann. The conversation back then went something like this. Ted Gurky, you will produce your psychotic murdering little prick from God knows what you call the baby mama, or I'll call in a battalion of the queen's guardians to pull his useless ass out of this city. I was rather angry at the time, it was my third time to this hellhole of a planet, and those living here were having problems with the Queen's version of justice. Which is to say, be nice to each other or else. Some alien species had a real problem with the nice part. <laughs> it isn't that they don't understand the concept. It is pretty universal. It's that they have lived so long on the those who have strength rule corollary that when someone comes along with more strength, they have to test it. A lot. All the damn time. It was starting to piss me off. Sure, the first time a people test Bethany Ann's rules, I get it. By the second time, I'm wondering if this area just didn't get the memo, and I call to make sure the PR department sent the damn memo. By the third time, it's just a case of who is backing down first, them or me. <laughs> it sure the hell isn't going to be me. 
So it was my third time speaking to Tech Gurky, so I figured he had to have read the memo, and they had done the research, and the rumors about Bethany Ann's guardians had to have made their way around the planet from the fighting two solar years back. But the little prick answered me. Do it, Ranger Tabitha. He waved his furry little arms around his warren with the other 15 leaders of his clan. I don't think we are so significant to the queen bitch that she would waste such valuable resources as a battalion of her finest soldiers to locate one little problem child. He's not a child, Tetgerky. He's created his own little psychopaths with baby mamas, I answered. You say psychopath. We say the strongest is always right. He was the strongest. Ted Gurky's sibilant laughter spread to the 15 little rat-faced throats around him. And it pissed me off. It wasn't my job to kill them all, no matter how upset I was at being laughed at. My job was bringing the little bastard to justice for killing someone on the world under my jurisdiction. So fuck him. Bethany Ann? Hello, Tabitha. Do you have a second to chat? I asked. While she is a friend, she's still the queen, and even after 150 years, I treat her as my liege first, my friend second. Yes, I'm en route to check on a diplomatic impasse. We're in the middle of a transition, recalculating the heading. I fucking hate this shit. Some of the ships with us are so damned slow. Well, if you didn't ride in the fastest chariot, perhaps you wouldn't be so impatient. Yeah, well, some things don't change with age. But enough about me. What's up with you? You rarely call just to say hi. Sorry about that. Bethany Ann was right. I did rarely call just to chat. I've got a problem here on Sverin where I'm trying to pull out a POS. I either need to get help from the local warlord, who is related to the little creep, or drop a lot of shock and awe to make them produce the freak, or actually tear apart this city to get to him. So I told him to produce or I'd request help. <laughs> he called your bluff, did he? Bethany Ann laughed. Yes, little turd magnet says he doesn't think his little cousin or other is important enough for you to support me. Tabitha, have you changed your body recently to grow red hair? She asked me. No, why? I responded, confused. Because your language when you change your body to grow red hair reverts back to when we first met. Oh, hadn't noticed. Either way, tell him that I will speak to him within two galactic standard hours, and he will produce his cousin. If I'm waiting more than five minutes, I'll find his cousin, and he and his men are forfeit. Please keep the area calm until then. Wait, what? I just need a battalion. I'm not asking you to show up. I understand, but think about your reputation. When you threaten a queen's battalion on this nowhere little planet, and the queen bitch shows up? Yeah, but which rep? The one with the criminals or the one in the rangers? I complained. My group is going to laugh their asses off. Well, the rep with the rangers is your own to deal with. Besides, Barnabas is going to think this is funny as hell. Yeah, well, he would, I grumped. All right, pilot says the new course is locked in, and I've told the group I'll catch back up to them on the third jump. Besides, you can tell the other rangers I was bored. You are bored, I told her. 
See, when you tell the truth, the truth will set you free. With that, she closed off our connection. I looked back over at Tech Gurky, a clearly noticeable annoyance showing on my face. What? He asked, an expression I'd learned was glee for his kind. Did she tell you to figure it out on your own? He gave that shitty laugh again, and his group took it up. Sixteen annoying, hissing laughs. No, I told him. She said to tell you she would be here within two galactic standard hours, and you would either produce him within five minutes, or every one of your lives here are forfeit. I smiled sardonically back at him. Ted Kirky's laughing stopped abruptly, and his face turned angry. She didn't. You lie to continue this negotiation. He was leaning towards me. I wanted to punch his nose out the other side of his skull. No, you ass. I reached into my duster and pulled out a clock timer. It's a rolled up little piece of plastic, maybe 10 inches long and four tall. I had my cyber core program it to two galactic standard hours. That was about three and a half hours on this world. I walked over to the wall to the left of his desk. We had been bitching at each other in the back room of a bar. It had seven round tables in it, and five of them were filled. I took a knife from under my coat and pinned the clock to the wall, stabbing it hard to hold it in place, turned to the table next to me, grabbed a chair, and sat down. When that reaches zero, if the queen hasn't shown up, I'll leave. The men all looked back to Tech Gurky for guidance, I guessed. So that is a ranger's promise, he asked. Apparently, Ratface had been studying. I nodded. Yes, it is. More, it's a promise from Ranger Tabitha specifically. I had cultivated the hell out of never personally swearing on my name unless I knew something would happen. If she isn't here within two hours, I walk without your cousin. However, if she is here within two hours, she expects your cousin to be here as well. I'm sure you know the or else if that doesn't happen. I smiled at him. To a lot of aliens, a human smiling is a scary sight. Sverin's smile showing their teeth during negotiations as well, so no psychological benefit to me. What if I have him brought nearby? Are you going to grab him and leave? Tetkirky asked. Is this another ranger trick? He hissed, a little worry cracking through his mask of boldness. <sighs> well, shit. He had been researching the rangers, and specifically me. I enjoyed tricking the hell out of my foes. It kept the many years of my life interesting. Nope, no trick. I've talked with the queen, and she should be here soon. I guess she was in the neighborhood. And bored. I faked a yawn and looked back up at the clock. Three minutes had elapsed. Ah, oh, shit. This was going to be one long-ass, boring two hours. Then again, I started to see Tet Gurky sweat, so maybe it wasn't. I reached under my duster for another knife and began to clean my fingernails with it. It was all show. The knife was dull. The knives I actually use would slice my fool fingers off at the tip, and I'd have to grow them back. Which, frankly, for fingers, is an annoying pain in the ass as it makes it difficult to grab shit. The other rangers think it's funny as hell to give you a sphere large enough you need the non-existent tips of your fingers to grab. 
Last time it happened to me, I used a type of glue to grab it with my palm and gave them the smallest fingered rude gesture ever. Just after I got inducted into the Rangers, back on Earth before we closed the door on that rat-infested place. Huh, rats. I guess everything's coming up rats for me right now. Anyway, I digress. Back when I was on Earth and had just been inducted into the Rangers, I did all I could to study the original Texas Rangers. Then the stories about the Lone Ranger and finally American Westerns in general, as I'm originally from South America on that world. I never wore a cowboy duster until we left Earth and I started doing this job on other planets. First, because they weren't fashionable on Earth. I mean, how the hell do you get respect for being a ranger when everyone looks at you and asks if you're trying to copy the movie The Matrix? Out here, no one knows about The Matrix. And considering the second and third films from that series, that's a blessing. Second, because I didn't need to keep so much shit on me back then, including special vials of blood in case I became someone's bitch in a fight. It doesn't happen often, but every now and then someone is as fast as me, or stronger than me, or just downright sneakier than me. I'm okay with faster or stronger, but sneakier pisses me off. Now I've got a damned military arsenal secreted about my body, including the body armor hidden underneath all these body-hugging clothes. With the Cartherian nanites I've got running through my system, I can change my appearance over time and adjust my body. Unfortunately, it isn't quick. Takes up to a month sometimes, depending on what I'm doing. Hair? Well, it will grow twice normal, but that's only an inch a month for me. So if I change color, it could take a year to get a foot without dyeing my hair, which I can do, but it feels fake. When I go red, which I occasionally do, it's because I'm really, really bored and I need action. Depending on the solar system and what they think about humans, if they've ever seen a human, I'll change my body. Bigger tits, smaller tits, hips big or small. I can only do slight changes to my height up or down. The nanites do not like adjusting my perfect genetic height. I know this because I tried once to get taller for two damned decades. Obstinate little nanite bastards. Within 15 minutes, three of Tech Gurky's guys left the room. I could hear a mewling little prick get tossed on a bed some 30 minutes later, bitching behind a gag of some kind. I kept cleaning my fingernails and making sure no one was planning on a hole and run. As in, plug me full of holes and run. Because if that shit did happen, then I was going to get some serious payback. The armor repulses most damage, but it still throws me around. Kinetic force disperses around my body and somewhat into the ground, but it never gets rid of all of it. I can stand most all pistols and a many good of the rifles. Those crew-mounted weapons... I do my dead-level best to dodge the shit out of them. One sent me through a fourth-story window. At the time, I hadn't thought to have any sort of anti-gravity options. So it was a fight between me and gravity. And gravity kicked my ass. God, I hurt for hours. When I hit the street after landing, looking up at the recently opened window, opened compliments of my body. All I could do was to lift my hand and flip them off and groan. It took me another five minutes to give a shit about rolling over. So, 
back to Tech Gurky's little pug rat face. Knowing that the queen bitch was on her way went down like a stripper on a pole for a $20 bill. Sorry, old earth colloquialism. Um, like a cawthrin eating a vulheron. There, I've been open-minded for once. Before Bethany Ann even entered the room, Tet Gurky's cousin was brought in, tied up like a Christmas present. I guess when the Archangel too arrives, people sit up and take notice. There isn't a prettier and nastier-looking battleship, in my opinion. And every world nearby and many of those far away know what that ship looks like. Because let's face it, Bethany Ann is fair, but she doesn't fuck around. She's fun, but she isn't someone to pull a prank on anyone but friends. She is the ultimate, here is the deal type person. And she will pack a punch to make sure you learn. Like now. I watched as all of the guys who had been in here went quiet. I guess it matters when someone personally could demolish your world on their say-so. Jeez, people get so bent out of shape over that one thing. Rangers don't get the same level of respect. The law rarely does, it seems. I have learned that the law, with her gun stuck up a criminal's ass, gets a fuck ton of respect immediately. The first through the door was John Grimes, one of the Queen's guards and known as a Queen's bitch, one of her original four. Behind him was Daryl. The two of them checked out the room as Scott walked in, through the room, and then out a back door to see what was on the other side. That meant Eric was outside somewhere. I tipped my head and smiled at them. Daryl's smile broke out, and he headed my way. Hey, squirt, he said, and I started to stand up, only to find myself pulled up into a big bear hug greeting. That had better, I told Daryl, my nose impaling his huge African-American chest. Be a gun, not you happy to see me. I finished before he busted out laughing and put me down. He ruffled my hair and turned around to view the room when Bethany Ann walked in. God for damned, what a fucking piece of work your airspace is, she told no one in particular as she entered the building. She noticed the unlucky prick all roped up. This the POS you need, Tabitha? She asked me, pointing to the present who was bitching up a storm behind the gag. One of the guys near him kicked him to shut him up. I popped Daryl in his chest, hitting hard enough for him to feel that shit in the morning. Damn, you eat your Wheaties this morning, Tabby? He grunted at me, rubbing his chest as I passed him up, walking towards my gift. I reached into my coat, three pockets over and one down to pull out a little pen device. I put it up to Mr. Tied Up and Not Going Anywhere and clicked one end as I held the other near his neck under his hair and pushed against his skin. The light turned green. I pulled it up and connected with my cyber unit. It all checked out. Yeah, this is the guy I need, I told Bethany Ann. She reached down and picked him up with one arm. She made a small push motion and the body disappeared. Now, there is a lot that will freak people and aliens out. There are a lot of rumors, both true and false, about the queen bitch that people, using that term loosely, like to argue about. However, none of the rumors prove more controversial than the one where she can make people disappear from the timeline. It's all crap. The timeline part, I mean, not the disappearing part. 
Bethany Ann is able to connect through and use the etheric due to her Cartherian integrations. She stuck the pain in the ass in the etheric for show. She would pull him back out when we left so I could take him for trial back on the world I had come from in search of him. Everyone in the room that didn't know Bethany Ann was staring at her with wide, frightened eyes. She looked around and then turned to leave. I need to speak with you, Ranger Tabitha. Is there anything that needs to be handled with Tet Gurky before we leave? I had looked over to see that little pain in the ass beg me with his eyes to say no. So I nodded slightly at him to let him know I saw his request, and now he owed me. I turned to Bethany Ann, shook my head, and walked out in front of her. Minutes later, we were sharing a pod as we went up to her ship. The EI, or electronic intelligence on my ship, the Acronics, lifted off from the space field and followed us. Strangely enough, the bullshit I had received on landing from their air authorities was silent when the Archangel 2 was sitting up there above us. I seriously doubted they would give me so much trouble next time. And that was Chapter 1 of Tabitha's Vacation from Michael Anderley, read for you by Emily Beresford. She'll be with us next week as our co-host before we hear the conclusion of this story. We'll talk to her about what it's like to narrate the Cretharian Gambit series and what her process is for, for narrating these stories, where she works, how she does it, how she puts it all together. It's going to be a fun uh, conversation. I think you'll enjoy it. I want to thank you for listening and to ask a small favor. If you enjoyed Ear Crush, we would love it if you would rate or review the podcast in whatever app or program you use to listen. Those ratings and reviews will help other listeners who might enjoy the show find it more easily. And another thing you can do to help us uh, build an audience for this show is to tell your friends, tell other people that enjoy audiobooks and enjoy listening to great stories. Before we sign off, I want to give you an idea of what's coming this week from LMBPN Publishing. We're recording this on June 15th. On the audio side, Feared by Hell, the first book in the best-selling Unbelievable Mr. Brownstone series, was released last week. And the second, Rejected by Heaven, should be released to Audible, Amazon, and iTunes this coming week. So it's a great opportunity to get involved on the audio side uh, with a fantastic new series from Michael Anderley. In other audio news, Emily Beresford, who you just heard, uh, finished the first book in Michael Todd's Protected by the Dam series. That book is torn asunder, and it's available now as an audiobook. And yes, it's every bit as good as you might imagine with Emily narrating. And one last thing, for those of you who are Audible customers, I've got Audible credits for both Feared by Hell and Torn Asunder. For the first 10 people who email me at steve at lmbpn.com. That's steve at lmbpn.com. Just send me an email and I will send you the credit so you can, you can listen to one of those two books. And that's a, a thank you from us for listening to this first full episode of Ear Crush. Thanks again for listening and for sharing your love of great stories with us. We'll be back in your ears again next Friday with part two of Tabitha's Vacation. The text copyright for Tabitha's Vacation is 2016 by Michael Anderley. The production copyright is 2018 by LMBPN Audio.